Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Weesey, and I'm your host. I've always been fascinated by the ideas and sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture galvanized to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow. Whether it's food, transportation, cities, biology, or anything else, it was this cultural mindset rooted in optimism that the world tomorrow would be better than the world today. A mindset where people were compelled to build things, and I quote JFK, not because they were easy, but because they were hard. It's this desire to build and to dream that seems to have been lost, and something we're here to bring back. With Build the Future, we're here to promote the ideas and stories of those who see how the future can be better, and promote their plans to get us there. It's our mission to get you to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow dream about the future that you want to live in and inspire you to go build. Today, we're talking with Daniel Grek, the CEO of Global Otech. At Global Otech, they take advantage of Otech or ocean thermal energy conversion technology to create clean, renewable energy from ocean water, providing us with a new sustainable energy option. In doing this, starting with tropical islands, Dan and his team are paving the way for Otech technology to be further deployed around the world, thus giving us another energy alternative to fossil fuels. Let's jump right in. So real talk, Disney fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part about the parks? Like Disney, whether Disneyland, Disney World, like what do you love the most? The food, the restaurants. My girlfriend was kind of a, a Disney nerd for years. It was always her dream to work at Walt Disney World. She'd been going two or three times a year before she met me. And I was a little skeptical when we first met. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of I like Star Wars and and Toy Story. And Disney was part of my childhood. But, you know, am I going to be an adult Disney fan? And, you know, I I, I took the leap. Uh, We went out to Walt Disney World in Orlando for for 10 days and I was completely converted. Uh, it's, It's not just the food. It is it's how thoughtful the experience is from interactions with the cast members through to, you know, the, the details as you're walking down Main Street or walking through Pandora in Animal Kingdom. You know, it's everything. It, it's absolutely amazing. You feel like you step into a, into a different world and everything is so intentionally designed. Like in Pandora, the plants light up and they have like these native navi species that they've like created that are like in the brush if you're not paying attention you totally miss that have you been on flight of passage if you if you got to go yes i went back in december what an experience yeah it was wild and they did a great job managing kind of the, the health stuff it's also florida so they operate a bit differently which is cool and interesting flood of the pandora blew my mind i was in awe of just how unique that experience was and like you know not to spoil it for anyone who's listening but like just like the feeling the the breath of of the the dragon and kind of the yeah it was kind of like because because soaring is one of our other favorite rides in walt disney world and it, it feels like there's elements of what soaring is mechanically but the way that they've kind of gone to engage every all of your different senses is just absolutely amazing and then on top of that, you have the, the whole queue experience. You're like outside, you're in the jungle, then, you know, you're, you kind of move through and you're in, the, you're in the lab and you see Jake from Pandora, like in that floating vat and he's like moving and, and you have like all the research on the walls. And then it's just like, it's so thoughtful. 
yo, you probably haven't been to the new Star Wars. Oh, okay. Not yet. Yeah, no spoilers, please. (laughs) We were meant to go September 2020. It it was booked in. So now that's kind of May 2022. So fingers crossed. If you make it out to Disneyland by then, they'll also have the Marvel experience that just opened up. I've never been to Disneyland, California, by the way. I've only, I've been to the Paris one. California's next on the list. So there's something, something magical about, like literally magical about Disneyland. Um, Cause I don't know if, if you all, if you remember, but like when you, when you walk into the Magic Kingdom, right, you have, you have the plaques on both sides. So like here you leave today into the world of yesterday, tomorrow and fantasy. And like, that's very real in the Magic Kingdom, but at Disneyland, there's something else there because it's like actually Walt's vision, like, you know, the history of the thing, like 1955 when it opened all the way through to now, like those bricks have not been, most of them have not been changed. And so there's like a different, different energy, different spirit to it. You know, Disney World is amazing because there's lots to do, but it's just like something nostalgic about Disneyland. We'll get there soon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you do, if you end up in LA, hit me up. I should be here. That was great. I'm definitely going to like weave that in. <laughs> My girlfriend will be so proud if you can hear that in. <laughs> like, yes, the, the Disney conversion process is a, is a good one. Um, to kind of switch gears, tell me about the future you're building at, at Global Otech. The future we're building is, is really one that recognizes the huge ocean thermal resource that's located about 20 degrees north and 20 degrees south of the equator. So we're building a system which can harness this resource and convert the thermal energy into clean, renewable baseload power. Now, not everyone has heard of ocean thermal energy conversion or OTEC, despite it being a hundred years old and a, a technology which even Jimmy Carter passed an entire act to support during his presidency in the late 70s. The principle is relatively simple. We use a temperature difference located in in that tropical area in the sea between the warm surface seawater and the cold deep water to run a heat engine cycle. It's similar to a conventional power plant in that we're creating steam and condensing it. And that steam is turning a turbine, which we export for electricity. So what's novel is that's a cycle that can run 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and it solves the problem which conventional renewables face in terms of availability without the need for big, bulky battery storage. So our our Rotec barge will be the first permanently installed and mass-produced system which can run that cycle economically. That's the future that we're building. So the barge that's doing this conversion process sits outside, like on the shoreline, kind of in this window and is creating energy based on the delta of the temperature at the top of the surface of the water, which the sun heats up, if I understand correctly, versus underneath Yeah, we're, it, right? we're a little further offshore than near shore, and there's a very good reason for that. If you're, uh, let, let's use the OTEC plant in Hawaii, for example, there's a hundred kilowatt facility there, really pioneering research center because it's an on-land facility they have to run a cold deep water pipe all the way down the shoreline it has to cut through coral navigate any tricky rock formations and that comes at an incredible cost you have to 
get maybe three, four kilometers offshore where the water is deep enough to, to get that resource and you have to pump it inland. Our barge reduces the length of that pipe. So instead of having four kilometers of pipe going down the seabed, you have a barge which has just about 800 meters of pipe below it to upwell that cold water. So it's a massive cost saving on, on the te most technically challenging component. And then we're using a, a standard subsea cable, which has been really been de-risked in, in the offshore and, and floating wind sector to send that energy to shore. Can you break that down for me a little bit more? Like, how does the energy get from the barge to the island, to the, to the city? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the cycle, as I've described, is that you, we're condensing and we're evaporating and condensing this working fluid. And that vapour is turning a mechanical shaft or a turbine. We've got a subsea cable uh, attached to that outlet. And we're, we're sending power in the same way that a wind turbine would to shore to either plug into a mini grid or uh, a, a much larger grid. And there'll be like a junction box there. Oh, so, so it's a subsea cable. This is cool because it it provides these islands the ability to kind of generate power effectively without dedicating a lot of their land mass to solar panels, right? Because that's one of the challenges. Like, how do you generate energy on smaller land masses? Like, solar panels take a lot of space. And then the other thing with like wind, if I recall, it's like, it's not always windy. Right. Or it's like very, it's very expensive, very like capital intensive um, and also not gorgeous to look at. Right. You've basically summarized our whole kind of problem statement slide from our pitch deck really quickly. So that's really nice. Amazing. Um, <laughs> you're, you're right. These, these small island developing states are so reliant on diesel imports for their electricity. Yet they have such a they govern a huge part of our oceans. I think 30 percent of all our oceans and seas are governed by these small island developing states. On average, they have 28 times more blue space in their exclusive economic zones than they have on their land. That land is providing agriculture, commercial space, housing, public infrastructure works, the biospheres, the jungles and rainforests. Yet all that blue space is used for some scuba diving for tourists or or, or some fishing. And they that it's an untapped battery of solar heat energy sat on their doorstep that's been there since the end of the last ice age and you know they simply don't have the the technology de-risked to a point where they can get that funded and and deployed to provide them with base load power now I, i'm not by any means saying that there's no room for solar or there's no room for wind in these markets on the contrary there has to be a mix so if we take Kumajima Island in the Okinawa prefecture of Japan, which has one of the other OTEC plants, they just announced a vision on how they're going to get to 100% renewable energy. And OTEC is going to provide 50% of that mix. That's their baseload power, five megawatts floating, one megawatt on land. And the rest is going to be a mix of biogas, solar, and there's some other smart new technologies that are going to be in there too. But OTEC, because of its high availability, lack of intermittency, it is able to supply that base load power. So I think over the next 10 to 20 years, you're going to see a lot of these islands have a, a mix of renewable energy. And I think 50% of it on average will come from OTEC. That's awesome. I'll be honest, like before kind of we, we connected or I came across your, your Twitter, like I had no idea what OTEC was. Right? I'm like, oh, this is wild. What? Why is this not 
more widely discussed, right? Because you have solar, you have nuclear, you have wind, but no one's no one's talking about this. So I'm curious, kind of like, why why is that? Why is this like the unnamed, undiscussed like energy source? That's the question that I asked myself when I first found out about OTEC in like 2015 that set me on this journey. I have a couple of theories. The first theory is that the resource is really highly concentrated in areas that you've got more you know, developing countries than developed ones. So there's some resource for the United States, certainly, you know, Hawaii, uh, Southern California, Florida, maybe even Georgia, you know, could be utilizing OTEC. But, you know, it was never going to power New York or Silicon Valley. And Europe really doesn't have any OTEC resource either. And this is really where the R&D funding has been concentrated in energy innovation. I think the other reason why is OTEC was, was, like I say, championed by Jimmy Carter in the late 70s. Then Ronald Reagan came in and switched it all up. I think the, the investment in energy innovation dollar for dollar, still hasn't recovered to what Reagan cut back in the, in the early 80s. So, yeah, I think OTIC was kind of seemed as a, a, a bit of a hype at the time, and then it fizzled away, and people kind of just thought, oh, well, you know, that was just a, a flash in a pan thing. It was never going to go anywhere. But what actually happened was, at that time, the cycles, the, the efficient cycles for energy production using ocean thermals was defined, but the the technology, the components weren't there to make that commercial. Some private companies and research institutions continue to work on that problem from Japan to the USA, University of Hawaii, and and in France too. They continue to work on that. And we got to a point in around 2015 where we actually had two OTEC demonstration plants online kind of de-risking the heat exchangers, the turbines, and the, the, the cycle, essentially, for OTEC. Now, to scale that and get to a commercial system is really capital-intensive. So I feel like for the last few years since those OTEC demo plants came online, solar and wind was really like the low-hanging fruit to be able to invest into, uh, less risky to, to get a return on, and start to decarbonize some of the grid. It's going to come to a point where there's only so much solar, wind and batteries you can put in a grid to decarbonize that you're going to need something else. And that tipping point for OTEC, where the capital is going to come in, is, is very soon. And the reason we start with the small island developing states is because two reasons. One, they have some of the highest energy costs in the world. So a, a more nascent first of a kind system or, or early stage system is going to be more economical when you're cutting out diesel that has to travel across the ocean to power them. The second point is the su sustainable development angle in that you know, the world is waking up to the challenges that these islands are facing as sea levels rise. You know, I think there's, there's something, I hope I haven't got this wrong, I think around 100 million people live across the small island developing states. If all of those people are displaced by sea level rises, you're going to find a huge refugee crisis in, in our future years. So by the sustainable development angle is that we use OTEC to give these islands clean, reliable, affordable power so they can then focus on 
how they protect their islands against those sea level rises. It's so absurd to think that that we're shipping millions of gallons of diesel fuel to these island nations so that they can they can operate. That's crazy. That's such a waste. <laughs> I mean, for, for context, one one island resort in the Maldives burns seven thousand liters of diesel every day. Okay, so that's two and a half million a year. So we're talking hundreds of millions of gallons per as every year. Like yes. On the Reagan thing, something happened with that administration. Like, you know, I'm I need to go read a book about this. If you have any recommendations, let me know. But in addition to the cutting the sustainable energy funding uh, and renewables funding, like Reagan also withdrew the U.S. from like the International World's Fair org. And so it's like that just got cut and there wasn't a stakeholder in the, in the government. that was like, oh, no, no, this is important. This is good for like soft power diplomacy. We need to keep this. And so just done. Right. And then like no one fought for it. I really don't know as much as I'd like to about the history of U.S. politics outside of Alexandra Hamilton. I still haven't seen that movie. I'll watch the Cosmos episode on the World Fair. You get yourself onto Hamilton. All right, deal, deal. I will. Yes, we could pull a Disney thread there and talk more about how amazing Disney is and how important it is that we create spaces for people to dream. But I want to kind of get some clarity on the state of OTEC. So you mentioned there's there's two facilities. You have the one in Hawaii and in Japan, right? Paint the landscape. So those are those are working. There, there's like one that's onshore. It's the one in Japan offshore. What's that look like right now in the context of like, okay, well, that's where we're at now. That's the state of things. And then how we're kind of the through line to like where we're going. So both those plants are onshore. They came online, I think, in 2013 and 2015. More recently, we had an offshore demonstration of a 1.5 megawatt system in Korea, in South Korea. That was a, another step, but it was a temporary demonstration. They plan to export that to one of the Pacific Islands, uh, I think as a, a sort of a diplomatic aid kind of gesture. Where we're at, we're waiting for a big investment to come from probably a combination of public and private sources to recognise the global opportunity for OTEC and realise that investing into the, the first commercial pilot plants is going to be a catalyst for development and deployment of these plants all over the world. There's going to be a high risk attached to that. It's a first of a kind marine technology, but I think it'll be similar to what we saw with offshore wind. Originally, offshore wind was really only economical in a, in a limited ge geography, say like the North Sea area and through deployment-led innovation you saw the efficiency of those turbines increase the efficiency of the supply chain improve as you have more players coming in trying to get involved i think something like that will happen with otec it may be in the caribbean uh, which has a relatively tighter knit geography between markets than say than say the pacific you could start to see otec ppas be signed for maybe 20, 25 cents per, per kilowatt hour, which is relatively high in comparison with wind and solar. But if you consider the need for baseload power and your grid, you're still going to be needing to buy diesel. So that is costing considerably more. And as we increase the size of those systems and those projects, I think we'll get to a point where OTEC will be around 10 cents, maybe even less per kilowatt hour. So 
I appreciate you did ask me, you know, what's the state of play? And I've given you more of a, a vision. But, you know, it's difficult, I think, at the moment, given the global pandemic, we've had one of the Netherlands or Dutch-based OTEC companies acquired by a bigger company that seemed really optimistic. And then they closed down the OTEC research. We've had, a, I think, a French company, maybe even two of the French companies have run into financial issues, I think, as a, a result of the pandemic. So, you know, we're here, we're very lean and dynamic and nimble. You know, we're just hoping that we can get on with with leading the way very soon. How are y'all going about doing this that you say is different from the approaches other people are taking? The approach that we're taking is that we're really focusing on these offshore systems. So, you know, granted that the South Koreans were looking at a an offshore system, that's a research institute. Our goal is to really build the first commercial OTEC plant, commercial level. Our French competitors, they were really focused on onshore deployments. They had tried planning an offshore project and they'd aimed way too high. They were trying to scale from a, the 100 kilowatt facilities we have up to 10 megawatts, which is a, a huge leap. It required a lot of capital. Some components weren't quite well known how they'd operate at that, at that scale. I think we're taking more of a reasonable approach to you know, what, what is the smallest possible system which can be economical for a wide market. And we've answered that to be around 1.5 megawatts. So it's not a, a significant a scale up. And a lot of the components are sort of off the shelf. They're operating in oil and gas, but haven't been used in renewables. A lot of our supply chain works in oil and gas, and we're trying to convince them to come round to the merits of this new OTEC sector, which, you know, whatever happens to your oil and gas sector, I I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball, but there's this whole new offshore OTEC sector, which your components and a lot of your technical knowledge and skill set could really be used. So, you know, why don't you get in early, cut us a good deal and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and decarbonize some, some islands. You think that like the, one of the challenges here is like kind of the, the narratives being promoted by like the oil and gas companies. Does that seem like an impediment, like where they're like trying to maintain kind of their market share and they're propagating like against some of this other, other tech or these other renewables? I don't know that they are. I think the narrative is that they're actually really greed and really open to to all of these new technologies. And you know, we're we're engaged with one of these oil and gas super majors who are looking into how they can make certain elements of their operations net zero. Yeah, you know, I know you've got some bad players out there, maybe particularly more the 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 American players without I don't want to get any lawsuits, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say any names. I'm very cynical about any of their intentions, but I don't believe they're necessarily harming the narrative. I think the bull has left the pen, so to speak. You know, you've got these decisions being made at a very high level now about what can be funded. So I'm actually quite optimistic. We now live in a world where like people are realizing the need for, for this sort of thing and there's capital available to go like invest in it and to go work on it. And so, you know, five, 10 years ago, definitely not. No one, no one was like funding kind of hardware moonshots, but today like the ecosystem has changed. And I'm, I'm curious kind of like on a personal, like what's, what's kept you going since, you know, your epiphany in, in 2015. Also, is that, is that true? You're watching the, the frozen planet. You're like, Oh shit, gotta go do this now. 
or absolutely yeah no <laughs> I, I remember it vividly i remember i remember being in in, in my little apartment watching the uh watching the documentary and i had it on dvd um and then yeah going into the next day at work saying i quit and then trying to you know jump off a plane and build an airplane on the way down. But I think instead I, I crashed on the floor and then had to build a car instead of an airplane, which is obviously a lot, a lot slower. It's hard to answer exactly what has kept me going. I think I have a, I've got really innate sense of, of curiosity and asking questions. So, you know, it's very unusual that a setback in my life would be a showstopper for anything. I think one of the most valuable things has been building a team of both the advisors and employees that all get the shared mission in what we're trying to do. The, the power of people, the, the kind of network effects, the, that's been so important, especially going through 2020. I think it's all about people. So, hey, you're spending lots of money and time getting like energy, clean energy here for your resort, for your, your org, like here's another option. And so then the barge, the Otec barges are like a bit more, they're smaller than, you know, perhaps what I was envisioning at the start, which is like, oh, this is powering a city. So no, this is powering a single resort, right? A community. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, I, I, uh, that was the, uh, that was the approach at the beginning. Cause you had Greta Thunberg making people feel guilty about flying. So I guess part of our pitch was that, you know, if you can save your islands, powered by the ocean and completely decarbonized wouldn't that be a you know a, a great sell um, but again you know we, we we've a bat we sort of abandoned or or should i say paused that route to market because we see a, a much more powerful and impactful one going to to work through the, the small island developing states love it especially yeah you know blessing in disguise covid kind of shifted that that narrative it's like okay cool what's the other option here? oh oh there's this angle that we may not have considered let's let's give it a shot and then you know here we are zooming out broadly outside of the outside the work you're doing at global attack what excites you the most about the future on one hand you see people like stephen pinkner who who, who publish how well we've done over the last few hundred years in eradicating poverty and we should all feel super good about it. I sort of feel that the job isn't finished in that you still have millions of people in poverty. You've got billions of pe more people coming in that's going to create a real challenge globally. There's a lot of problems still to be solved there. So, you know, the, the thing that excites me the most is problem solving on a global scale. And I, I just think this is the most exciting time possible to be alive. Yeah, I, I echo that 100%. Like, there's so much opportunity in the world. Like, there's so many problems to go be solved. And, like, everyone's coming online. The internet has unlocked, like, resources and access for millions of people, bringing people out of poverty, educating them. Like, we got a bright future ahead. Yeah, we got some problems, Dan, but we are, we got people solving them. Like, we have people who care. I mean, 30, 40 years ago, you know, mobilizing a global workforce of creative brains to be aware of these problems, to be able to collaborate with others in solving these problems and to be implementing and deploying their solutions. I just don't know how that could have happened without uh, the Internet facilitating all of this. And now we're in a place where we can have conversations like this. We can connect each other to the resources and we can we can kind of collaborate on about the future. It's like you're right here in my office. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you see that new Google visualization so they have like this mirrored thing where you sit down in like a phone booth 
and then there's like this glass panel and they have real time and visualization and 3d modeling of someone who's on the other side so you have two of these pods anywhere in the world and it's like like you're there right so you, you see the depth of people's faces and the facial expressions and like that's cool but is it the same as having that human there opposite you and uh, you know are those products only reserved for the richest people that that can afford them i'm coming from the the lens of the developing world where you know we need regional partners we need local people we need to not just solve the decarbonization challenges but also the equality diversity gender and social inclusion there all of those things personally I can't wait to get on a plane again and, and get out to, to our entry markets and meet those people. I don't think any technology could, to, could truly replace that. I don't know what it is. There's some, like, something, like, some embodiment in like, the physical spaces. Maybe we can translate energy through intonation and through facial expressions. It's presence. It's the, it's the presence that you, you, know, you are there. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Is we, is we going to come to a close here? Where can people find you and how can they support Global Otech and support this movement? So I'd encourage the first place for anyone to go would be our website, uh, globalotech.co. That's globalotech.co, not .com, not .co.uk, because I think that's a brilliant showcase of our technology, the problem that we're solving, some of the testimonials that we've had. And then you'll be able to find other links there to places like Twitter and LinkedIn. I mean, I'm pretty active on Twitter uh, uh, at Dan Grech. That's D-A-N-G-R-E-C-H. But it isn't just all about global tech. It's, a, you know, a, a colorful personality all blended in with with um, with the OTEC development stuff. So, you know, depending on what you're what you've got the appetite for. Uh, but really, a- anyone that wants to contact me whether it's Twitter or the email address that you're, you'll find on our, on our website. I want more people talking about this, having more conversations about this. You know, I have uh, students at universities that will reach out to me and I'm trying to convince them to do their thesis on the opportunity for sustainable development that OTEC presents in the, in the, in the small island developing states. I'm, I'm really quite proactive on any platform if people want to talk to me about this people want to learn about this if people have challenging questions or critiques about this i want to know and i want to have that conversation dan that's amazing thank you for coming on and thank you for the work you're doing and i'm excited to see what's ahead no problem my pleasure thanks for joining us for this episode of the build the future podcast if you're building and want to get support want to hear about certain topics or hear from certain people shoot us over an email hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com or follow me Cameron on Twitter at Cam Weesey and we'll see what we can make happen. That's it from us. Until next time, go build.